Psalm 4, if you would. Psalm 4. I'm going to read the first four verses, Psalm 4. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. O ye sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love vanity and seek after leasing? Selah. But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. So tonight, reacting under stress. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. We thank you, Father, for how it challenges us and encourages us in our walk with you and, and how it applies to everyday life. I pray that you help us to give attention to your word and be encouraged and challenged and helped, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the Bible tells us in the last days, Luke chapter 21, verses 25 to 26, says there should be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and upon earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Now, I think the direct application of those verses in the chapter refer to the tribulation period, but I believe we're seeing the beginnings of those things happening. Uh, And we are, you know, they tell us that the number one contributor to health issues in the U.S., Stress. Some say up to 80% of health issues are stress-related. I read here a couple days ago about a guy that, you know, he was was being very successful, but he's a very busy man, and he had a heart attack before he hit 50, and it was all stress-related. He had to slow down. Uh, But anyway, and the Bible says here, In verse 1, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Now, the word enlarge means we understand from that word used in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where Paul says, You're not straightening us. Be ye also enlarged. And the idea is to draw near to God and to... uh, uh, Make yourself more of service to God and more uh, in walking with the Lord. Even as Jabez, he, Jabez asked Lord to enlarge his coast. Uh, and so David said, Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Now the word distress here means a tight place, an affliction, a difficult place. Of course, the word stress, English word stress, means straining, to press tightly, uh, pressure employed to produce action. You know, sometimes people push you, push you, and push you to try and get an action from you. Uh, 
we know that Jacob was under stress and going to meet Esau. And what did Jacob do? Well, he, he made great preparations. You know, he, I mean, he really, he really prepared a caravan of goods to appease Esau. You know, you see, he separated all the, the wives and their children and, and, and the, the, the two inferior, the concubines, really, the handmaids that were wives that had children. He set them first, and then Leah, and then Rebecca, uh, Rachel with, with Joseph, and, and, you know, and, and, a, and, a, and sheep and cattle with each one as a present to Esau to try and appease him. Why? Because he was distressed. Because the last he knew, Jacob or Esau was going to kill him. And here, here, and he heard he's coming with four hundred men. Then he crossed the brook, and it says there wrestled with him, the angel of the Lord, till the break of day. But this is what Jacob said: "I will not let thee go, except thou bless me." So Jacob, in his distress, of course, he wrestled with the Lord, and he. He, he clung to the Lord. You know, David was in stress many times. You know, if you get distressed, you're in good company. I mean, there's Bible characters who are in distress many times. But 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, tells us David encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, I want you to think about that for a little bit. He encouraged himself in the Lord. He wasn't delivered from his distress. But in the midst of his distress, he encouraged himself in the Lord. Circumstances hadn't changed. They were still the same. So as we think about this, what to do in times of stress or distress, what we should do, which we do not do naturally, um, We, 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 of course, should make our cry unto the Lord. But notice, if you drop down to verse 4, it says, Stand in awe and sin not. Commune your own heart upon your bed and be still. So stand in awe. You know, the problem is we stand in awe of our problems. We look at, we, you know, I look at that, that problem that I'm facing and I'm standing in awe or I'm fearful or I'm afraid or, you know, I can't get it done or... Or it isn't going to work out the way I don't want it to do, want it to. And, and so I'm standing in awe of the problem. That God has allowed. Remember, if you're a child of God, God has allowed it. He's allowed it. And of course that problem seems larger than life itself. But the problem is we focus on the problem. And David says, stand in awe and sin not. So we need to stand in awe of God. See, you can see God from the perspective of your problems, or you can see your problems from the perspective of God. And the one that's bigger to you will be the one you focus on. Uh if you focus on how great God is and see it as an opportunity for God to show himself strong on your behalf, it will change your perspective and relieve you 
of your stress. See, when we, when we stand at all, it means that we should remember that God is bigger than any problem. He's greater than any trial. In fact, he's given us some promise. And he is able to deliver us out of our distress. Again, verse 1 says, Hear me when I call, O God, my righteous. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. So it's obvious that David was helped spiritually in his relationship with the Lord when he was in distress. That means God delivered him out of his distress. Of course, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we have this New, this New Testament promise in 1 Corinthians 10, in verse 13, where he says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. So, there isn't anything new under the sun. You know, people say all the time, Well, nobody ever had it as hard as I have. And nobody ever had it as bad as I have. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and say I never said that. But it's not true. It's not true. Temptations and trials are common to man. They're a common everyday occurrence. Welcome to real life. You know, as Brother Williams was saying last night, that a godly mother is a mean mother who will displease her children. And they're going to think it's trial and tribulation time when they get displeased, you know, wear their backsides out. Uh, you know, with the Board of Education, you know, and they're going to think it's trial and tribulation. No, that should be common. And that teaches them that life isn't about their enjoyment, everything they want. That life is full of trials and difficulties. It's common. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape. Now who makes the escape? Do you make the escape? Now that's why you need to stand in awe of God, because it's God that makes the escape. That you may be able to bear it. So, so we need to stand in awe of God. We look to the Lord and not be overcome in trying to figure it out on our own. And the second thing he says here in verse 4, and sin not. Now that sounds simple. But usually... The first sin in times of distress is we stop trusting God and start leaning on our flesh. And trusting in our own thinking. You know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. But what do we often do? We start trying to figure it out on our own. We get it, we're backed into a corner or something or we're in some difficulty and, and so we try to figure it out on our own. Or do it our own way. And many times we only enlarge our problems by trying to work them out our own way. So, again, David, I think, is reminding us from past experience. He enlarged his own problem. You know, when he was fleeing from Saul, and, and uh, of course, after the second time he... he 
had opportunity to kill Saul in a cave, and he did not. And then he confronted Saul about his wickedness and, and, and you know, chasing him and all that. And Saul goes home, and David says that one day I'm going to perish at the hand of Saul, and he goes to the king of Agesh. He goes to the Philistines. Because all of a sudden he's afraid that Saul's going to catch him and kill him. I mean, he's been, he's been delivered many times, but all of a sudden he thinks that somehow God isn't going to protect him and he's got to go to the Philistines for protection. You see, sometimes we get into a situation and, and you know, even though God's undertaken many times, sometimes we think we've got to go to the world to solve a problem. That's all of a sudden the world has the answer. You know what we do? We enlarge our problem. We enlarge our problems. You know, people go away from the Lord's church trying to figure out their problems, and they go to the world, and what do they do? They enlarge their problems. So David here is reminded it. You know, and by the way, it worked for a little bit, but only for a little bit. You know, during that time he Came, his men became like a band of rovers, plundering and looting. It led to deceit, which set him at odds with God, his own God. And God allowed a catastrophe to wake David out of his stupor, you might say. You know, his, the Amalekites invade the south and take Ziklag and burn it with fire and off with all his wives and children. And, and, and now he's in a real predicament. What did he do? He enlarged his problem. Because he sinned against God. Unbelief is sin. When we fail to trust God, we're like the Israelites who won't go into the wilderness because they were afraid of the giants in there. It's sin. And it makes our problem bigger. Yeah, aren't you glad God, though, is gracious and merciful? I mean, he can still, he, he will still, when we call, cry out to him, he'll, he'll still answer. So, you know, so he says here, stand in awe and sin not. Then the third thing he says is commune with your own heart upon your bed. In other words, you need to stop. You need to think about God. You need to meditate upon his word and seek what God is trying to do in the situation. Seek what God is trying to teach you. Seek what God, what opportunity God may may be trying to give you. You know, I find myself, when I'm out working a job when I go to Lowe's or whatever, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that goes in. I have an idea of what I want, usually. Now, there's sometimes I go to Lowe's and browse. I have to admit that. Uh, you know, but I'm not sure what I want. I'm looking for something. But, but usually I have an idea of what I want, and I go in with the intention of getting it and getting out. And I don't waste time talking to people. Do you know what? That's not always good. Because I need to have a mindset. There may be somebody there that I could talk to 
and have a conversation about the Lord. You know, sometimes we can get so busy that we miss opportunities that God may be opening for us. Because we have an agenda and it's our time and we don't want to, we aren't considerate of, of other people's needs. And so uh, we need to commune, commune with your own heart, he says, upon your bed. Meditate what God is trying to teach you. Think about, ponder about what God is trying to do. What he, what, what, you know, how you ought to respond in this time. What we can learn from this situation. Isaiah 30, 20 and 21 says this, And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner anymore, but thine eyes shall be thy teachers. Thine eyes shall be thy teachers. And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way. Walk ye in it. When you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. So he's talking about the Lord may give you the bread of adversity, the water of affliction, and it may be a time that he is teaching you. You need to have your eyes open to it. You need to be thinking about, it. okay, what's the Lord trying to show me here? What's he trying to help me with? Where is he trying to direct me? And when we meditate on what God is doing, He will show us teachers that He has placed in our life for our help. Look at Psalm 119. Here's some teachers. Psalm 119, verse 23. Princes also did sit and speak against me, but thy servant, where is he being taught from? Did meditate in thy statutes. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, Where no counsel is, the people fall. Multitude of counselors, there is safety. And of course, we have a multitude of counselors in the word of God. Uh, Proverbs fifteen twenty two. Without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in a multitude of counselors, they are established. Uh, Proverbs twenty four six. For by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war, and the multitude of counselors there is safety. You know the Bible says that over and over again. Multitude of counselors. And we have a multitude of counselors in the Scriptures. There are people in your life that can counsel. You know, so we need to just stop and commune or think. But many times we want to get this thing worked out. We want this out of our life. We want this problem solved. Fourth thing. He says, "Is be still." So commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Now, what does it mean to be still? It's really hard to understand. 
It means to be still. Don't do anything. Don't react. In other words, you're supposed to think before you act. You're supposed to meditate on what God is doing. What will you find when you this, these words be still or find in the Bible? Exodus chapter um, 13, I think it is. And the Lord said to Moses, stand still. Moses said to the people, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. I mean, they were in a real predicament. They were in distress. They were murmuring, complaining against Moses. And from a human standpoint, with good reason. I mean, the sea is ahead of them, the mountains on their side, and Egyptians are behind them. What are they going to do? They're not armed and prepared for war. The Egyptians are. What are they going to do? And God says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. In other words, don't act on your own volition or on your own will. You know, that's what David did when he went to Achish in 1 Samuel 27. He acted on his own will. That was the directive of Saul's life. He acted on his own will. You know, God through uh, Samuel would give him a command and he would alter those directives according to his own will, as it pleased him. That was the pattern of Saul's life. And because the people, at least that's what he said, wanted to keep the best of the sheep of the oxen, he allowed them to keep the best of the sheep of the oxen and left egg, egg alive. So, you know, <clears throat> stand still means don't act on your own volition. Wait on the Lord. Psalm 46.10 says this, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. So we need to be still and consider what God is doing and let Him work it out. Let Him direct our way through it. Uh, you know, just as Israel did. And so, so we, ha- we can't... We can't work it out on our own. Cast thy burden. Psalm 52, or 55, 22 says, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall stain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. So be still. We see a fifth thing here. <clears throat> Do what is right. Verse 5. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness. And put your trust in the Lord. So here's what we are we're to do. Here, here's what we are to do. You know, the, the other things are we're, we're to stop and consider. This is what we, how we ought to re- respond. Do what is right in times of stress. You know, there's a great temptation to sin when you're under stress. To quit. To give up. To act irrationally. Maybe to take vengeance, we heard Sunday afternoon, vengeance belongs to God. If you take vengeance on somebody, you're taking God's priority. 
No. In times of distress, we have to choose do right. Do what is right. You know, doing what was right for David while being hunted like an animal was difficult. What did his men tell him to do? You have opportunity to kill him? Kill him. Abishai said, let me go over and kill him. That's a sacrifice. When you can... When you can think you can rectify the situation, but it's not the right thing to do. This tries your faith. Stretches your trust in the Lord. And then the, the, the sixth thing we see here is, to, so we're offered the sacrifices righteous. So we need to act rightly, not irrationally. Uh, and then we are to trust in the Lord. Not to take matters into our own hands or let God do what he will do and trust that he will always do what is right. We're to obey him, act pleasing to him, even in times of stress. Deuteronomy 32.4 says this, He is the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are judgment, a God of truth, and without iniquity, just and right is he. In other words, God will always do what's right. And if you follow his will, he'll always direct you to do what is right. The Lord said to uh, Abraham in Genesis eighteen twenty-five, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God's going to do right. See, to, to be stressed out and reacting in times of stress shows a lack of trust, a lack of faith in what God is doing in your life. And you see... God knows when you begin to deal with stress, those around you sometimes will question your method, but, but this is the prescription God gives. And, and there's, there's things that he, he, uh, uh, he gives us in times of distress. Go back to verse 1. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. Go to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. Verse 22. And straightway Jesus constrains his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him on the other side while he sent the multitude away. When he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray, and when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Uh, Now, can you imagine this scenario? Here's these... Twelve men, 
Um, we know something about these men. Peter was very quick to give his opinion and quite adamant about it. James and John were called the sons of thunder. They were kind of vengeful. They wanted to call down fire on the Samaritans and destroy them because they wouldn't receive Jesus. Uh, there was Simon Zelotus. Now, a zealot is a guy who's like a, um, we would say today, maybe a black militant Muslim. He wants to overthrow the government. He wants to get rid of Rome, and he's, he's working underground and, and working to, to thwart Romans' uh, policies and maybe even kill Roman soldiers, you know, assassinate them. That's the kind of stuff the Zealots did in Israel. We have Simon Zelotus. Now, he's one, he becomes one of Jesus' disciples. But these are the guys that, so I can imagine, you, just think for a little bit, these guys are in a ship, Jesus sent them there. Do you, do you ever think maybe there might have been a conversation? Sent them there, and, and after all, they're in a storm, and, you know, maybe they could have even got to blaming each other for, you know, maybe this was your idea, or... You know, the Bible says they were troubled. They thought there was a, fee, a ghost. No, they were in a, 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 a situation of great distress. But, verse 27 says, Straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. So you need to commune with God. Recognize that God's, God's here. You know, Jesus, again, if you're in a distress, God has allowed it in your life. Has he forsaken you? He hadn't forsaken them. No, he wasn't right there with them at the time, but he knew where they were. He knew where they were. Though they didn't know where he was. But he appears and says, be of good cheer, it's I. Be not afraid. You know, it's, I can sort of, you know, maybe think about him maybe saying, do you realize I sent you here? And if I sent you here, do you think I'm going to allow you to perish here? Do you think I'm going to send you somewhere that you're going to die? And of course, Peter... He gets all excited. He's very excited right away. Here's the Lord. You know, he's very excited. And Jesus is after Jesus. After all, Jesus is walking on the water. So he says, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. When Peter's come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. When he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. There's that lack of trust again. You know, he was quick to think that he could because Jesus did. But all of a sudden, when he gets out there... Yeah, fear, the fear, the reality of it and the fear strikes him and he starts to sink. You know, I wonder if Jesus just didn't let him sink a little bit. Did he really try him? And, and of course, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. I think it was a reminder of Peter. 
You can't do anything that pleases God without me. He's going to tell them later in John chapter 15, without me, you can do nothing. In other words, if, you, if you're going to do anything to please God, it's going to be through me. Through communion with me. And so immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? When they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. When they were going over, they came into the, uh, the lake Gennesaret. Now notice the, re- the, the result here is, then, verse 33, Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. You know, it's starting to sink in. This isn't just a man. This is the Son of God who has great power on whom we need to trust. We need to rest our life in Him and allow Him to direct our life. So he says, enlarge when I was in distress. You know, Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, but I would understand, have, I would you should understand, brethren, the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. He writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and 2 Corinthians 4, and verses 7 through 18. He says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels. The excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that life also of Jesus might be made manifest in us. So he was, he was, he was standing in awe and not sinning, committing himself to the Lord. Verse 11. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our lives. So stand still and let the the Lord work. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Uh, Verse 16. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, see, we get, we, get, we, get, we get out of sorts because of things we see. But we don't stop often enough and consider and stand at all and consider, where's God in all this? What's God doing in all this? What role is God playing? And what role does he want me to take in this? We look at the things that are seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So, 
We need to allow the Lord to enlarge us in our distress, in our times of distress. We need to, if we're, if we're going to be doing that, we need to be seeking a God-likeness, understanding who He is. It's going to require an understanding of who He is. You know, if, if you don't know who God is, and you don't know what God is like, and you don't know what, about God's power, are you going to trust him? But the more you read this book, the more you're going to understand that God can be relied on. That if he has said it, he will accomplish it. If he has said it, he will provide it. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. So if God asks something of you, he will give you the ability and the strength to fulfill what he has asked. He's not, a, he's not an irrational taskmaster. His commandments are not grievous. First John 5 tells us. So there needs to be a God-likeness. We need to understand how God is. There needs to be a reverence of him. And that's, of course, that's the stand in awe. And, of course, when we, when, we, when we do these things, when we stand in awe, we sin not, we commune with him, we wait on him, we do what is right, it will give us confidence in the goodness of God. Because God will keep his promises. In Daniel 11.32 says, But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Now, I believe that context <clears throat> there is talking about during the days of the Maccabees. And that was in time before Christ when, when there, the king of the north, which would have been Syria, the king of the south, which was Egypt, and Israel's in between, and they constantly fought over the land of Palestine. And one of those kings came in and desecrated the temple, and they tried to force the priests to offer a sow on the altar. And, and uh, I think it was Judas Maccabeus, an old priest, an old faithful priest, refused. He killed, he killed him and his sons. They killed the, the uh, Syrian uh, soldiers, and led a revolt. And they won. They were greatly outnumbered. And for a while they ruled. Of course, eventually that went into compromise as well through his sons. But, but they that do know their God, he was, gonna be, he was a faithful priest and he would not compromise or sacrifice an abomination in the temple. He was strong. They that do know their God. And so, we need to know our God. That means we have to study Him. 
Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, again, we have a multitude of counselors in the scriptures. You know, this Bible addresses every issue that pertains to life. But we need to search him. We need to diligently seek him. And so, in times of distress, we can be enlarged. We can be made more useful if we will stop and consider what the Lord is doing and not take things in their own hands and try and solve them our own way. So in times of distress, trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again. Time your word tonight. We thank you for this example of David and others in the scriptures that testify of your goodness and your grace and your mercy. There were people just like us who many times failed you, failed to trust in you in times of difficulty. And Lord, I pray that you'd help them, help us to learn from their examples. And, Father, to apply the principles of your word to every situation in life, uh, to not uh, become unglued and, and out of sorts with ourselves, with others, but, help, Father, to uh, consider what you are doing in our life, what you're trying to teach us, and what opportunity may be uh, uh, at hand that we should take advantage of and use for your glory and honor. So, Lord, just help us, and we just thank you and praise you for it. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.